Welcome back to Hidden Power. Today's guest is Greg from the podcast. It's super effective. Greg is a pioneer in Pokemon podcasting. During this conversation, we discuss what features would be needed to make the perfect Pokemon game. We had an issue with Soul Silver Arts audio, so you can see him, but you won't be hearing Soul's voice. Enjoy the podcast. Greg, thank you so much for being here on Hidden Power. How you doing? I am good, all things considered. As we discussed before, I'm coming in under the weather. But the show must go on. I am a professional. That's what we like to hear. I took my throat lozenge, so I'll have a voice. We're good. Greg, let me hit you with some speed round questions, all right? First off, if you were a Pokemon, what would your type be? I mean, I'm always going to be some sort of grass type. Love it. Uh, The question always, I always fall between what would be my secondary typing, um, which would either probably be grass psychic or grass fairy. Why grass psychic or why? uh, Here's the thing. Overall, when I sort of look at the vast amount of Pokemon that I like, I like grass types. I just like the very... I like Pokemon that have a very natural feel. A solid, (laughs) natural feel to them. Um, Like, I don't like a lot of steel types because a lot of them feel really just hemmed in there for no good reason. Like, uh, there's a bunch of spare parts over there. I'm going to make that a Pokemon. It's not my thing. I like to feel like it's a part of nature. The Pokemon that I tend to like feel like animalistic or natural and that tends that. to lean yeah. a lot the grass types tend to lean a lot heavier into those types um, more than a lot of the other types do and like water is just all fish and whatever psychic type and fairy type i like psychic type just as a thing i want to have telepathetic powers i want to be able to kill people with my mind and i like fairy type. fairy type is just an amazing typing it what can't it do I love yeah, true uh, the dragon slayer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The over OP dragon for many many years. What do you think of paradox Pokemon? They're they're fine. Um, I, I have a little feeling about the future paradox types and the past paradox types. In what they are saying about those two timelines is what they're saying about the timelines that I don't particularly find inspiring. I think mm. the designs are good. But they have a. They took such a weird, sanitized future feel. Like everything is chrome, as if it is a yes. foregone conclusion that we will not have nature in the future. And that's a really both that and how they sort of looked at the violence of the past. Both are very dystopian for my tastes. That I hope yeah. they explore a little bit more. Um, Because right now they both have uh, this sort of weird dystopian that only the present is the good, is good. And I'm not, I'm not keyed into that whole storyline right now. I I don't think it's a great tactic. I think they have beautiful designs. I just don't like what the designs say about the periods that they come from. That totally makes sense. Yeah, I feel that, that, that I, I've never thought of it that way, but that's. Yeah, I I'm not a fan of the violet paradoxes, and and for similar reasons, you I I don't see why it has to be like you know uh, everything turns to metal, very Age of Ultron esque. It's uh, everything turns to metal, but the, uh, also everything is uniform, so they all have the iron prefix, right? Like yeah, so there's yeah, a there's a weird too. there's this weird uniformity that they're saying happens in the future that diversity fails. And uniformity takes over. It's a very future chrome dystopian sort of ideal that I'm not 
I mean, I like the designs they came up with. Like, I think they all look really cool. I think they look great. I think they're good spins, given the fact that they took a dystopia timeline. Like, mm-hmm. they make sense in an unstated dystopia. Um, yeah. I try to imagine, not... like, I try to imagine, like, what else Game Freak could do to exemplify an extreme past or future. Because it would probably have to be some sort of binary, right? Like, or some sort of like very specific theme, and I don't know what necessarily that would be. I mean, they make every Pokemon a reptile. Yeah, I mean, they, they took did a that. very <laughs> they took a very easy out by saying make everything machine and thus its future, yeah. and we know that that isn't how evolution works. Yeah, like yeah. in a right. game that's based off of evolution and wild evolutionary tactics, in a game that very much takes like you put two things together and they make a new thing. They decided to steer away from having to think about what does, what happens in our own evolutionary line, which means things tend to get a lot smaller and more compact, but they also didn't want to touch on at all. What does the future environment look like? So they decided to bypass the future environment by saying, well, they're just machines and thus we don't have to think about what the future environment is. They just adapted to That's machinery, true. and machinery is, in our timeline, the universal adapter, right? Like, machines work, quote-unquote, everywhere, and so it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's super hot or if it's super cold. Machines just work. Um, and that is very much a tactic that they took in the Future Paradox ones to bypass having to answer a lot of questions, and I don't blame them yeah. for it. I do think it was a little lazy. I respect that, yeah. I can definitely understand that. I know we don't want to go too deep into it, but like I definitely feel like they wanted to almost make a difference or they wanted to create a separation between like when it comes to the environmental aspect between paradox and regional forms. I feel like regional forms are kind of like the environmental Pokemon that have they've changed because of their environment, essentially. Right? Yeah. Think of yeah. like a low yeah. executor. That's like if something was exposed to complete nature. Um, an abundant sunlight and, and nutrients, it just grows like, you know, 20, 20 feet tall or, or whatever it is. Um, but anyways, uh, great answer. But now we want to know what your, <laughs> we want to know what your hidden power type would be, right? Something that's like within you that you just got, like, it's, it's secret. It could be fire. It could be anything. Um, I mean, my hidden power type that a lot of people don't have to see is my, is dark type. Ooh. It is it is a it is a it is a known thing amongst my family and not amongst my friends, some of my friends, that you do not want to get me to the point of anger. You're like a you have like allegiance to the Sith, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I well, no, because they're <laughs> they are Team Kylo, Team Kylo. They are not right and have very extremist views that also aren't right. If we want to get into Star Wars, we can get deep into Star Wars. Maybe maybe we table that for next time, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) about about the severe binary that the Sith fall into. I do have my lightsaber, Uh, though. I brought this out for you. Ah, mine is being... (laughs) The one that I built in uh, Disney just this last weekend is being shipped to my home as we speak. Love it. Nice. That's awesome. Did you get red? Let's go. Oh, he has the crystal. Oh. 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 Blue, purple. Oh. <laughs> I like that. This is a Star yeah, Wars podcast now. Oh, did, yeah. So dark type is your hidden power type. Yeah, love it. So would your ability be anger point then? Uh, <laughs> my, I mean, my 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 main ability 
is contrary. I, I mm. do most things out of spite. I mean, it sounds like a very competitive Pokemon. I hope we see a Greg in uh, Gen 10. <laughs> Gen 10. <laughs> okay, so we. Uh, I want to know what your top five Pokemon are. Top five favorite Pokemon. All right, well, I just redid my list. Mm, okay. And I, I, will, I, will, I will pull it up because the top three always stay the same. They are always Rosalia, uh, Sableye, and uh, Boltund. Uh, then generally, Rabombi comes in around five. Uh, I like these picks. But that sort of swaps with Alolan Marowak. Um, and Baxcalibur has moved way, way, way up in the standings. Um, so generally... Uh, like Empoleon got pushed out uh, because of Bexcalibur. Um, but according to the official online resources, my top five is Rosalia, Sableye, Bolton, Rabambi, Alolan, Marowak. Bexcalibur comes in at six. Tinkatung comes in at seven. Uh, Milotic comes in at eight. Mamoswine comes in at nine. And Gardevoir comes in at ten. Great pick. I love the diversity of this. Like, you know, most people are like a set. You know, th- like I'll like admit I'm very basic. They're like cute. Right. Or, or basic, like like for me, like some of my favorites off the top of my head are like Dragonite, Charizard, you know, Lucario. But like you, you're over here with Rabombi <laughs> yeah, and Baxcalibur. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Rabombi is great. I do love Rabombi. It's got Ro- underrated design. Roselia and Sableye being top two is like, mm-hmm. uh, I love that so much. Those are definitely in probably my top 20. Sableye is probably in my top five. I love that little gremlin. Yeah, he's so cool. So cool. He is neat. He is very neat. I like his mega a lot. Uh, it it's made fun him very to play good. in night too, even though people hate it. We want we want to know what your favorite Pokemon game is. I feel like this will this will be telling. Pokemon Emerald. Oh yeah, really? Pokemon Emerald. Okay, we love that. Yeah, that's that's a solid game. Emerald's one of my favorite. Yeah, Souls my never favorite. played it. Would you recommend Would you recommend Gen Three Hoenn or Gen Six Hoenn? Six. Really? Uh, if you've never played them, going back in time to play the old mechanics and the way the old games work are super frustrating. Yeah. They are slow. They are grindy. They are glitchy. They have splits that don't make sense. I mean, they didn't do the physical special split. It was still based mm-hmm. off of type. So when you go back to those old games, unless you are really willing to say... I accept this for how it was back then. It will be a frustrating experience. It moves slow. It takes forever to get places. They really relied on the old video game method of backtracking is good for your game because it extends the life of your game. So you get very much stuck in long sections of backtracking. It's, you know, I would and, I would push back a little bit and say I think Gen 3 is much better about that. I think way more it's approachable better. than Generation Two and One. I, there's still the physical special. There's still no split on the physical yeah. on, on uh, those moves. But the I think it's fast. Better. Um, it it still relies on you know you go up and yeah. then come back down and then come rock smash and, across, and, then you go back. and then you go back up and then you come back around and then you come back around and go back out. It does. It it, it takes. A, a lot of weird paths to get things done where there aren't shortcuts. Whereas they put shortcuts in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire 
which were brilliant. Like, thank you for having somebody come and say, oh, your next thing is here. Do you want me to just get you there? Because I don't want to walk all that way anymore. Grinding isn't fun. When did you enter the series, Greg? Uh, My first game was Blue. Okay. Okay. Was it, I assume, like, was it when Blue was out, or did you, like, jump in Gen 3 with Blue? No. Okay. Uh, I started in 1998. That's true. And I was waiting in, I was... uh, so it was 98 when it came out here. It was 96 in Japan. It took a chunk of time to get here. Uh, I was going to go sit in line to get the uh, special edition Star Wars tickets at Mall of America. Mm. And we knew, my brother and I, we knew we were going to, going to go sit in line for, we got there, I think. I was like, we got there at like 6 in the morning and the box office opened at 3. And so I was like, well, I want to do something in line while we are just sitting there and I'm not going to talk to my brother for eight hours. (laughs) It is not a thing that is going to happen. Uh, And I I was a huge comic book reader at the time, so there was a lot of ads for this game, Pokemon, that was brand new. I'm like, well, that looks cute and fun. I'll give it a shot. So I went and bought Blue at Target specifically to play in line and was immediately hooked the minute it started. I was like, this is the game that I've been waiting for. That's so cool. So, what yeah, I, I mean, I was 28. So, like, I'm one of the people that was an adult when we started the series. So my viewpoints of a lot of the things that happened in those series don't benefit from the fact that I was a child. <laughs> That's really interesting. I'm, so I'm 28 now, and to think to think that maybe this year I find something that would, like, forever define the rest of my life. Uh, not that Pokemon has defined your life like that necessarily, but like, you know, Pokemon has definitely <coughs> defined my life. Um, I mean, it has in some ways. Like, yeah, I, it, it, it is a series that I actively seek out and make carve time out in my yeah. life to make sure that I fit it into my life. Um, it is, it is a thing that became important for me to say this is a thing that I'm going to pursue and this is the thing I'm going to actively spend money on and time yeah. and I'm going to make sure that I carve time out to make it happen and you don't tend to do that a lot with a lot of things as you get into adult. you're like yeah. if it doesn't make this. me money I don't care <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm. that's so that's really cool I would I would ask uh, you, you said Emerald's your favorite game uh, we asked you what should Soul start with. You said, you know, Oris. Uh, so, what is it about Emerald that makes that your favorite game over Oris? Gen three, I think, is the most important series in the whole genre. Uh, Gen three is when they understood that they were making a franchise and yeah. needed to start thinking about the future. Uh, and so beautifully put Ruby and Sapphire were good, but had no end game. Didn't really have a lot of like, okay, this was our standard formula and we've really made changes. But when it came to Emerald, they decided to add a whole thing at the end to try out a whole lot of concepts And the battle frontier in that game is brilliant. Um, yes. They did, again, what they do with a lot of third games or sequel games is they improve the general feel of the Pokemon on the routes. They tighten up a few parts of the storyline. 
And then they realized we need to do more at the end and we're going to do some interesting things that we can be experimental with. And so Emerald feels more experimental. It feels more um, like a proving ground for a bunch of ideas and for a game that, that is meant to be played for the long run until the next game comes out. So mm -hmm. unlike the first two games, and generally unlike the first two games, they do a lot of things where they build them specifically knowing that they're going to do a third thing and so they don't want you spending a lot of time they want you to be kind of done when the third one comes out so that you feel oh i'm going to start over again and then this third game is going to be the thing that carries me through till the next main series i never thought about that aspect of it i just assumed it was like that. they didn't have enough time or, or they're just saving resources no. you, you think it's I mean, you think those games are defined yeah i think they know i mean now cool. we know they're going to do DLCs, right? So, like, right. now we know that they are building events and ideas to get people to carry and keep interacting with their game until the DLC comes to regenerate and re reinvigorate everybody to keep playing, right? So they need to always come in with a gap, but they don't want to make a gap that's so big that people are completely happy with the thing that they have so that they won't buy the third thing. And again, third things and DLCs are for super fans, right? Casual people don't look yeah. at the third game and think, oh, I'm going to play that. You already played it. Why would I play that again? It is for people who are very invested into the series who are thinking, I would like to rehab that experience slightly different, but then I want a game that's going to continue carrying me until the next big main series game hits. And then I can feel happy that I've done everything there. But it's like why they added the entire Ultra Wormhole section to Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, right? Like that hunting aspect didn't need to happen in Sun and Moon because they knew they were coming out with sequels in about a year and a half. So you just need to bridge the gap of things to do until the next main series game comes for the fans because you don't care about casuals. Casuals also are not going to play the end game of Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. They're not going to do that garbage. It is just for hardcore fans. I, I never looked at the third games that way. That was was very good. Also, mad respect that uh, you said um, Battle Frontier for one of yeah. your reasons that it's the best. <laughs> I'm one of those uh, people that's like super high on Copium where every time a new game's announced, I'm like, you know, Battle Frontier in this one. And <laughs> nope. then obviously it doesn't happen. Mm -mm. But <laughs> no, there's no Battle Frontier. And they didn't do it. They, they didn't do Omega. Uh, Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. They did not. No, they, they trolled us instead. They trolled us. <laughs> they said it, could, it, sh it would be here. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that hurts. It still yeah. hurts. It's been how long ago was that game, and it still hurts. 2014. Yeah. So nine years. It still hurts. Yep. Another question, completely pertaining to the Pokemon games. Okay. Uh, now, um, I. Uh, it, it, what's funny is I had this question planned, but you said uh, that you haven't been as big on go lately i think you told us that off camera uh, yeah or off that's recording. not a big secret <laughs> uh so have you how did you feel about because I, I do know that you know you you played a lot like i remember uh seeing like when there was a community day you and uh steve went like to the mall of america or something yeah uh so how did you feel about let's go because like we soul and i are big let's go haters so i'm curious how you let's go is a fun game I mean, okay, that's what real. I say. It's it's based off of Gen One, which is a solid, easy storyline. Um, mm -hmm. It's it was clearly a bridge game, right? It was meant to bridge right. 
between Go players and Switch players. So uh, I think the visuals are very charming. Um, it's it is very, cute art it's style. It's very bright. It's very shiny. Mm. It's very cute. The the catching mechanic, you know, is designed to match Go. Uh, and so for a game that is meant to... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To be a bridge game, it works beautifully. Um, but Gen One is a boring game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing happens in Gen One. It <laughs> it is it is the introductory game. It is the start of it all, and they're never going to be brave with Kanto and they're never going to be brave with remaking of Gen 1 because Gen 1 is the introduction to everything that's built off of it. So for a remake, pretty charming, interesting new mechanic, same old game, it's fine. It's it's an enjoyable experience. It's not one that I go back to. It's not one that calls me back to say, hey, yeah. you're really missing a ton of things. I've played so much Gen 1. If they never remake Gen 1, I will be happy. I do not need to play that game again. Let's go but Pikachu for- and Eevee. Yeah, let's go Pikachu and Eevee. To me, it seemed like the only, ga- only, <coughs> only Pokemon game in a long time that actually feels polished and like a final product. Like they were like, this is the start. This is the beginning. Uh, everything that we wanted to put in it is in it. If it looked, I, you know, did you play Legends Arceus? I, I would disagree. I think Legends, Legends Arceus, Arceus. I think Legends Arceus yeah. could have used more, a little bit more time. Um, because I guess there was a couple gra- not not even graphics. There, like I, I'm not like a like I'm not a game. I mean, but there's going to be that in every yeah, I mean, game. Like the fact is, you can find that in Breath of the Wild. Even. Legends okay, Arceus's biggest problem from the art style is they made it muddy. Like, sure. they decided to pick a, the dominant theme of each area and just stick with it. So, like, this is brown area. And it's like, yeah. okay, great. This is gray area. <laughs> C- cool. Like, it's yeah. beautiful, but you really could have picked more on the palette. And that's the thing about the thing about when people compare those two games is you are at heart comparing art style and art choices. Mm. Let's Go Eevee, Let's Go Pikachu are very bright very cartoony for a very specific reason they were meant to bridge a wider audience and people who have mobile phone graphics and switch graphics and so that game doesn't do a lot right like it's not required to do a lot the routes have always been short because it's gen one the models have all been created they needed to bump up the color and bump up the saturation and they needed to make one character model like, if you look at Let's Go Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee, everybody is still white in that game from beginning to end. I, I, I dare I guess you I didn't to notice find that. somebody yeah. wow. who is any color other than Japanese white, right? Like, they didn't change the models much. You kind of get someone who is slightly Hispanic at some point. What about Brock? Like the gyps- and they're like gypsies. Or Samson like, this Oak? Is, this is a little offensive. Like Samson isn't in... Uh- Let's go. Yeah, no. Professor Oak, Brock, they have slight tinges, right? But, like, you are not getting 
anywhere near the racial diversity that you're getting in modern games in that game. That they is kept, odd. They kept it. They kept it simple, which is fine, right? But it drives me crazy when people are like, "Oh, it's such a better polished game." It is a simpler graphic game. They, they even did simplified not need to push. Yeah, they even simplified all the game mechanics, right? They literally brought they back everything. Like the the game plays the same way the game played in maybe not I guess maybe not generation one. I guess kind of generation one. There's no abilities, there's no held items, right. there's no breeding. Right. There I guess there is the physical special split and fairy type exists and dark and steel. Right. I mean they added some modern, they took away things. Like it's a it's a very basic game. There's no abilities, there's no competitive. They didn't have to build it in. They built the Safari Zone different. Like it does good things for the game that it is. And I, I think people compare it to other things on the wrong basis. Like yeah. If you prefer that art style, more power to you. If I I I do like bright, shiny, cute things. Um <sighs> I but that art style was too bright, too saturated for me. I like the brightness and coloration that they did in Scarlet and Violet when you can see it. Um which isn't always How about <laughs> which isn't always <laughs> possible in that game. When you're not falling through the map. <laughs> right. Um and I tend to like my main series games to be slightly more realistic so that I feel that I'm in a real world. Sure. When I'm playing Let's Go, I don't feel that I'm in a real world. I feel like I'm in an anime, which works great for those games and what they needed to be. Interesting. So what what are some features that you liked from Scarlet and Violet? Because we didn't even talk about that. Um, I Yeah, I, I think I've... So a theme that we've talked about a lot on the channel, uh, on the podcast, is that like, you know, Switch era... Every single new Pokemon title has introduced or appealed to a new type of player. Um, I think we expected Scarlet and Violet to be kind of a fuse of, of this. Uh, I don't totally think that is the case. I think Scarlet and Violet is still just like mainline standard Pokemon game. Even though it is open world. And yeah, they, it's complex. So they, they tried with open world. And I, I, I am on record saying I don't like open world games. And I, I stand by that. I don't think open world games work well for what i want out of a game um i think you have to tell very shallow stories in open world games and i am there for story not for okay. gameplay um i do not find satisfaction in exploration particularly with how shallow exploration feels in sorted scarlet and violet like if i go to the far end of whatever I may run into some Pokemon that I've seen that I haven't seen before, but that's it. Right. And how is that really different than being directed to a new route? Yeah. Right. Like the yeah. only thing that's there is the illusion of freedom that I could go over there. And I say it's an illusion of freedom because you have to survive your way over there. Right. Yeah. And in a game that's still heavily structured on levels, mm -hmm. you can definitely do that. But I don't know that that is a non-frustrating experience for most people. And it works for some. It didn't work for me. Um, I think... I love the take that you don't necessarily need to... Like, I love that you're just saying you don't love open world. I think it's popular. No. Like, people have assumed or tricked or gaslighted themselves into thinking that open world games are peak... Um, I think it's the immersion. I think it's it's like yeah. what you said. It's the yeah. illusion of being able to go anywhere. It's, right. They it, like that. It is. It Open world games are great for open world experiences. 
Mm-hmm. And if you really love exploration, if you really love not giving a crap about a storyline and I just want to find hidden secrets, those games are perfect for you, right? Like people who love open world games love them, but they yeah. aren't ever going to say, I love the story. I love blah, blah, blah. And often the mechanics are even secondary to them feeling like they can go everywhere. I am mm-hmm. a story person. Like, open region, like they did in Legends, Legends Arceus, yeah. like they do in a lot of MMOs, to me that helps them tell a better story because they can control the pace upon which you get the story points. You cannot tell a complex story in an open world system because you don't know when somebody's going to get to the area to get a bit of information and if that's going to make sense. So by nature, open world games limit complexity of storylines. Mm. And that has always turned me off. I always think um, back to like the only uh, the foundation of open world video games that that kind of like, you know, got me into them maybe not even got me into them. It was really just like Skyrim. I played Skyrim in high school and I was like, this is the coolest thing in the whole entire world that I can choose which which faction I want to be a part of. I can choose uh, my character completely, right? I can level up, uh, you know, all those, you know, I can level up everything, right? It's like playing Zelda, but being able to actually yeah. choose how I want to play the game. And then also I would spend, I literally would spend so much time uh, sneaky or raiding like a, a cabin, right? There's some random cabin underneath a waterfall, and then there's like books and notes, and there's like whole stories for every single character that's within the video game. Um, yeah, and I guess that's been the standard for me for for most of my life, my adult life. Yeah, I mean, if you like finding secrets, and you don't care that you get those secrets out of order, or the secrets don't matter what order you get them in, those things are great. Um, but I think. A lot of people sort of feel like, okay, I found those secrets, but ultimately my interacting with the world doesn't change the world. So many open world games don't really take into account the choices you made as far as, so I've joined this faction. What did that really do to the world? What did that really do to the storyline? Because I chose red team over blue team what happened? Well, those teams often don't really factor into the end game at all because they have right. to build it that no matter which way you chose, you still got this predestined ending. And that to me is what turns me away from open world games because main plot lines, main things have to be free from your choice mm-hmm. for them to work. I feel like Pokemon. Yeah, you literally, you just described Legends Arceus. Like, I mean, they let you at the end. Who are you going to side with, Pearl or Diamond? All it changes is the order you fight Dialga and right. Palkia. Right. And the thing about Legends Arceus that they did do well is that each area had a story, and mm-hmm. that's, that area, that story made sense for that area and served the overarc. But again, mm-hmm. a lot of games don't take your choices seriously. I think that is just a general problem with video games across the board that presents you with choices, but your choices don't really matter. Mm. Um, I feel like yeah. Pokemon really could be... like I feel like Pokemon is fit for an open world game. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like... Just seeing I, I mean, you know, in fairness, this is what right. their first one. So, like, I mean, you know, hopefully it's I something mean, they can master. I will say I really liked Legend's take on, like, 
segmented open world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I prefer open region. I just yeah. do. Um, I prefer going into an, a region, having a storyline in that region, and having the ability to explore that region completely, but knowing that that region has the complete next step of my story, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. miss a part. And then when I've completed that region, I can still go back and explore it, but then I know the next story beat is in region C. Yeah, and, and then, I'm going to learn that storyline. And then even yeah. having your actions, you talk about like actions having consequences. The Pokemon that you choose to give uh, certain other care- NPCs, right, as part of missions, yeah. they stick around. That is really yeah. cool. I forgot that, about that. I, I love those aspects of it. I yeah. love when when you feel like you have an effect on the world. And I n- still have never felt that in Scarlet and Violet. You're not you're not going to get a Wind Waker storyline in an open world. Yeah. yeah, it's like now that he's saying all this, I'm realizing, like, he's right. The story didn't begin until... The end of the game, yeah. right? <laughs> we, the 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 really powerful story mm-hmm. happens in the one area that you are forced to go to after everything else is done, yeah. and they could really get into it at that point because every other plotline is very surface. They dip slightly, and they're like, "We're going to touch on that, but yeah. we're really not going to delve deep into it. We're going to touch on what bullying kind of does." But not really. Yeah. And we're not really ever going to hold them accountable or anybody else accountable or really make it make sense. Was we're it- going to touch. We're going to touch on what it means to try to heal a relationship. But not really. Because it's going to yeah. be with a Pokemon and you know it's going to work out because it, it, you know, it has to because it has to work out. It, well, it has to work out for your legendary. It doesn't make sense that it it would work on the legendary you're using as a bike, but not something that's not legendary. So like they tied those together. So I don't know how people were really honestly thought the dog was going to die at the end. I'm like, you are literally not putting two and two together. It's not even a cute dog. uh, hmm, Those dogs are cute. (laughs) Don't start. But the, the one storyline that is about you, which is your gym battle is a straight line Mm. that does nothing. It is mm-hmm. a straight line of no curves, no choices, no interest, no surprises. You right. are just defeating gyms. You learn about people, and that's cool. But again, you're learning about their stories and who they are. But nothing about me, nothing I'm doing matters in my own storyline. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, and even with the gyms thing, like I remember it was a really controversial point of uh, Scarlet and Violet's marketing if you will, was uh, when we found out that gyms were not going to be, uh, like, not open world, but done in any order. They weren't going to scale. Like, there's right. still... The the bug gym is the first gym, and the that ice gym so is the last thing. gym. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's like, what's the point of open world if I'm still... You're still kind of forcing yeah. me to do it linear. And... and Hate it, like, or hate it. Like, the, the open world one was the Titan storyline, right? Like, that was right. the one that scaled although it didn't um and that is a tough thing again when you don't when you can't control when people get there you have to control something about it yeah and so in order to make a game that is enjoyable you have to build in some limiting point and for them it was levels and i don't begrudge them for that um but I think it undercut what a lot of people expected for those games. Um, 
And ultimately, yeah, I do think like this is their first foray into an open world. And I would rather see an open world game that this doesn't do a storyline then. Don't just make it an exploration, go around and catch things, uh, and then fight gyms and be done. Like, make it a Gen 1, because Gen 1 doesn't really have a storyline either. Mm. Um, but I think that is a step beyond... That's moving them out of the RPG format that they exist in. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't hate it, but I, I, I don't know that that's a direction they want to go. Every time I think, I'm like, okay, Legends Arceus is the solution. Then I think back, like, I've got a friend in real life, uh, a Pokemon friend. Like, he play, he loves Pokemon as much as me. And he doesn't like Legends Arceus because it's not an RPG, right? I mean, it is. I guess you could classify it, it as that, but it's not a it's it's on, turn-based. It's an action RPG instead yeah. of, yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, again, people are going to hate non-turn-based stuff. Like... Mm-hmm. It is the you know Final Fantasy went through it when they changed over to the action system. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people change it. The thing is that Pokemon, the biggest problem with Pokemon, and its biggest strength, is they are tied to the idea that you can now take your Pokemon with you at all times. Yeah, and because of that, it is incredibly hard for them to break the existing formula because they have to honor now. 26 years of history and allow people to continue carrying things from 26 years ago with them. And there are not any other games that do that. And it is a Mm -hmm. strength of this game series, but it is also the greatest limiting factor that they will ever face. I mean, but it's also from a collection aspect, (laughs) you know, like people want the little, uh, the little, what is it? The ribbon that says like yeah. he traveled from s- through space and time or right. whatever. There's a lot of people that are collectors. I'm not a big collector. Um, I rarely finish Pokedex because <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't. I'm tired. <laughs> don't I don't care. <laughs> I just do not care. Uh, but I think th- I think it's so great though. I, I like that is one of the things that probably has kept me in the series. Right I, to think that I can like, oh, this thing that I've spent like, uh, you know a thousand hours into i can now take those those trophies right whatever you want yeah. to call the shinies I mean, or your friends you can bring them up the first shiny rosalia i bred in emerald i brought all the way up sitting yeah. in my bank like i can point to it and saying that was an that was an important moment the thing that pokemon does is they they have they build memories that is the best thing they do is they build memories and they build attachments yeah um, and they've really leaned into the building attachments to your Pokemon, which, of course, made the National Dex thing difficult, right? Like, that was a difficult decision that they had to make. I don't think... If anybody's saying they didn't have to make it, you are absolutely lying to yourself. You, there is no way that they can continue adding Pokemon and have all of them available and have their games function. Scarlet and Violet barely does as is. <laughs> right. And so I think, like, we were all... If we were all honest with ourselves, we knew National Dex was coming. It was Sword and Shield where they finally pulled the trigger. Perfect. It was a good time to pull the trigger, right? Like Yeah, you switch it, over to the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're switching game systems. It, it was a good time as any to say this has to be the way it goes forward so that we can limit the scope. But it creates the problems of like home connection and all the outside things that exist out of it that they still haven't figured out how they want to be able to solve that future. Um, 
but that is a hallmark of the Pokemon series is that you when you play a game and you make those friends they are allowing you to carry those friends with you conceivably forever yeah um, and that is a hallmark that only it really exists in Pokemon. And that's a fe- unless it was from the original Gym One games, yeah, and Gym One or Gym Two games, because then then yeah. you can't carry it forever. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean that was. Well, I still think that's why Gen Three was is, is important because they had to make a decision. They had to understand that there was never going to be a way. Much like the National Dex thing happened, at the outrage to the not being able to carry things forward back. I was old enough to be there to see all the letters and all the angry people. I don't, yeah, because I they it. couldn't carry things forward. It was a physical limitation of the games. The two systems no longer talk to each other, and so they had to make a very tough decision in Gen Three to say, "We are going to leave those in behind, and we're going to have to start over. But we're going to do it, and we're going to make a franchise, and we'll make it up to you as we go along." Yeah. Um. And I've always applauded them because the game systems probably sh- could ha- would have died if they decide, like, well, they can't carry, carry it forward. That was a hallmark of our game, and we're done with Gen 2. And that was what they did when they were making Gen 2 at the start. That was supposed to be the end of the series. So Gen 3 signals them making the first ever super hard choice of saying, you're going to have to leave those in the past. We will never be able to connect to them again. Besides, they were super broken anyways. They didn't really work. So it's fine that we're leaving them back there. They were real buggy, really didn't work. I wonder when the next big switch up could be. Like, because black and white. Hey, I, next week on Pokemon Day. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Because yeah, yeah. black and white was even a big, uh, I feel like it was a big change. It was a big change, but it also wasn't. Because it was a big change that there were no old Pokemon. I do remember it being kind of controversial. Like, I remember Unova. Now it's hailed as like one of the greatest games, but yeah. when it first came out, people were like, "This is garbage." Yeah, people were. Well, upset. I mean, they made a. I people were like, "Oh, it was a big risk." It was. They already knew how to connect the games, right? All the systems talk to each other. Yeah. So to mm-hmm. say, like, oh, they were going to do an all new Pokemon and only new Pokemon, and that was a big risk. You just had to beat the game and transfer them up. Yeah, yeah. Because totally. everybody knew at the end, they all talk to each other. So the risk that people see there is way less impactful than I think people give credit. And for. also, who really wants to capture another Geodude, Machop, Zubat? I mean, after... Psyduck. The, the, I'll tell you this, the guy who does is going to comment on this video now, Dusty. Yeah, well, those Pokemon are like are literally in it. We're, <laughs> we're in every game up until I mean, Black and White. To remember that, I mean, even if you played the remakes of Diamond and Pearl... You got so sick of seeing Geodudes yeah. and so sick of seeing Zubats. Like, the biodiversity in Diamond and Pearl are it's awful. terrible. So bad. So it was a blessed relief to never see any of them for much of black and white. The wor- like, <laughs> the I wor- don't need to see these. <laughs> the worst part of Legends Arceus is the decks. Yeah. I mean, it's a small decks, right? Like they they took a small safe decks, and for for a, a game that was a risk, I I I think they did a good job with what they chose. I think they took a smattering of things that would appease to a wide audience. If you're enjoying this show, just $5 helps us out so much. Right below this video, there's a join button. You can click it and become a channel member. And and more importantly, we have merch. Seriously, I'm about to like, when, when we're done recording this ad, I'm trying to speed up this ad so I can go and buy my own <laughs> merch, which is really lame. 
but also like it's super it's not, cool and it's I need not it. lame cool. i'm gonna be it's wearing amazing a, i'm gonna be wearing a hat i'm gonna be wearing a t-shirt i'm gonna be wearing i'm also gonna have a, a hoodie i'm gonna have a hidden power hoodie um, oh, I'm gonna get that too then. Yeah, Soul's gonna get sure. one. I want a mug. I want to put my Snapple in a Hidden Power mug. Oh, just... I like that. I'm gonna be drinking no. coffee in a Hidden Power mug. That makes more sense. That makes yeah. more sense than Snapple. That's like, what is this, plastic? In That's bad for the environment. Get a mug. Save there the you turtle. Go. There you go. <laughs> Soul I'm... Silver Army, grab your merch. Yeah, listen, listen to Lumi. Get get some of our stuff. It's really good stuff, guys. Your support will allow us to continue making Hidden Power videos for the rest of the year. Thank you guys so much. And now back to the video. You do play Pokemon Go. Are there features in that uh, that you would like to see carried over into the main series? Because raiding has really become a staple. It is one of the like most fundamental like parts of the game. I, I, I will it. say, though, really they said that those were developed that actually did, was not taken from Go. They said in Sword and Shield that that was actually developed in Sword and Shield before it was in Go. Interesting. I, I can't think of a mechanic in Go that doesn't already exist in the games. What about... What Even about community days are the terror raids, basically. The seven-star yeah. raids that could yeah. equate to community days. What about costumes? That's something that we see also well, in Unite. I mean, and I think that's... I think that'd be a Let's cool Go thing. had that as well. Yeah. A little bit. Sword and Shield had great costuming options, and it is absolutely insulting how horrific customization is in sword scarlet and violet it is oh, well, unacceptable. i meant for the pokemon yeah yeah i meant the um, pokemon but you're right you're right character customization totally got like mm -hmm. it's not yeah good i mean gen. there's not a ton of, there's there's not a ton of customization for pokemon in go either it's the ones that they release which yeah. is a ton of hats and some sunglasses mm. like fake forms and they like and they could they could easily put those special collectibles in the game and they have like i have a million special hat pikachu there was special yeah. hat pikachu island in sun and moon or i know, want like... the sunglasses squirtle though go got yeah, that true. and the mainline games have it and i want my yeah. sunglasses squirtle they have it like that <laughs> that it, it all exists yeah like so go, go really hasn't created anything yeah, other than right. walking i think i think pokemon unite has uh, an immense catalog of costumes right and they're like head to toe costumes that totally like yeah. build on existing themes i think that's really cool yeah. and i would yeah. like to see something like that in a future pokemon game where yeah. there maybe they're not like costumes but maybe the battle items it, show it up on your pokemon be, or maybe it it's like po pokemon armor to have your partner pokemon be customizable like you are you mm. are not they haven't done it for they haven't done it for the player character yet really they That's, took yeah. so many steps backwards that it's like what are you doing um the biggest issue with pokemon is they are incredibly conservative because they don't want to upset the cash cow and yeah. I do not blame them um and that's really what the main of, series games as well like i feel yeah. like i feel like each I feel like I like the idea of having a battle simulator. Um, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I feel like the the launch title main series Pokemon game is the battle simulator. It's like this is our yeah, new I, meta. This is new everything. I think they would be better off splitting competitive into its own game. Uh, I know a lot of Agreed. people argue with that uh, because, oh, I have a variety of reasons. And I, I get the other arguments why that would be a bad idea. But I, I do think... Because of, like, in every game I've ever played that has a PvE and a PvP aspect to it, 
they struggle with balance the entire time because they are two fundamentally different goals and different end results. And it is difficult to find a balance for one that will always work for the other. I, I do have a wish that they would divide them out, but I have that wish for almost every game that has a PvE and a PvP side. I wish you would split them in two because the people who play PvP tend to never do PvE unless they have to. And that doesn't serve you well. Like, uh, so it I've, doesn't serve yeah. either group particularly well. Give them their own playgrounds to play in. And, and we see that. like People make their own. Showdown exists for a reason. Showdown is faster to make teams. It is faster to get things done. It is faster to get in to get the things that you want it done. It is faster to test theories than the main series games does. And if you had a game that made that that was licensed and your own graphics, you could have that audience and have them build it out there and have a very different experience. But you've tied them together for a lot of good reasons, but I, I, I do think it doesn't serve the community particularly well. Yeah, so the main argument against a battle simulator would be that, like, all, like you're basically all of the casual players aren't buying the main series game. I think the thing is, though, if you did a, like, okay, so, you know, if, like, the theme of this episode is the perfect game, I did, like, one of the first videos I did on my YouTube when I had, like, you know, two subscribers was a... Uh, good episode. Um, On, like, my perfect game and uh, what i said was like exactly that a battle simulator i think people kind of commonly refer to it as stadium three and like you would still you would catch your pokemon in the mainline games and transfer them into home or wherever i don't know if they wanted to use home as a base or just you transfer it into the stadium game and that's where they would battle so you would still have to ev train you would still have to catch you know you want a shiny you're gonna have to catch that shiny in the mainline game so there's still incentive to buy the mainline game uh but the battles are done on stadium three i mean but then it's like what's the point to i would think well what's the point of the simulator if you have to play uh mainly if you have to play one of the other games in order to get those pokemon i think i mean so the issue I think that people will point out is that if you don't have attached to the mainline games, you aren't going to get new players into competitive, right? Like, the idea is that once you're done with the main series games, oh, hey, have you tried competitive? And the issue that I have... That's the post game. That's the post game. But the issue I have with that and the current way that they are running raids is if you're going to do that, then you need to have in-game tutorials that teach you how to do this and teach you how to do that well. But since you don't, you don't really make the barrier for entry to either particularly fun, easy, or rewarding. It's almost as if the mainline game should be a double player experience or or double battle experience. The mainline series should just be a story game, right? And you don't... I don't even care if you have to capture them. Like, capture them and ha- just have the stadium game look at your Pokedex and say you caught it. Do everything over here because EV tra- you don't. they don't explain EV training. They don't explain how those items work. They don't have time to do it. If it's in its own game, you can have tutorials to teach people how to do competitive. There is an argument that people make that then you're going to handicap the competitive because you aren't going to get crossover. And I can kind of see that, but 
at the same time, you aren't doing people a lot of favors now. You aren't teaching them now. You are relying on external factors, external people YouTubers. to teach you how to do competitive. Right. Like they, they even they make it easier every game, like with mints and like allowing you to use the vitamins to max the EVs, but they never say it. <laughs> they make it easier that you can rent a team. So yeah. tell me right. what's the difference of renting somebody else's team than playing it in a different game and renting it over there. Yeah, that's right. a game that's focused on that. That's a really great point. Right. Now, I, I know for me, like one thing I like is, you know, it, it's just stupid. It's probably just, you know, for my own, like wanting immersion uh is that um i i like to know like hey i use this with the i beat this with the gengar that i caught as a ghastly so like i don't like rental teams for that reason so you would still have that for the fans too you would allow them to rent but then also allow them to kind of transfer in or even like what you yeah. propose greg stadiums just reading your pc and allowing yeah. you to use it from those they even could also i mean if they really want to throw in all the gimmicks on there where you just each month say okay this month the meta is going to be Gigantamax. So only Dynamax is allowed, only Gigantamax is allowed. Run that for six months. Mm -hmm. Then the next six months, hey, we're in a Z-move meta now. Only Z-moves, you know, things like that. Yeah, It's a great way to keep those forms alive, <laughs> yeah. too. I, I, I have a lot of, like, and I, 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 there's marketing behind it. And there's there, right. there are always things like buyer exhaustion, if you have them only buying this game, are you really splitting your audience? I don't know that we have enough sort of behind the scenes information to be able to say one way or the other. Like if it were split into two different games, would you really be dividing your audience yeah. that much? Right. You know, the, I think there's pros and cons for it. But for me, I would love to remove PVP out of the game, put it separate so that they can really focus on a very polished pve experience yeah like i was saying like i really feel like scarlet and violet is the pvp game and then what they could also do right so it's like they don't need to necessarily compromise they can keep doing this but then also keep making like auxiliary games right like let's go or you know hire ilka to make a half <laughs> remake right uh, <laughs> that, that, that's ilka a bad example but like legends the, also well, came here's out the thing the whole ilka experience is is wild the question becomes how much was ilka actually ever going to be allowed to stray from those main yeah. games we can argue about the bugs and i'm going to get them off the hook post scarlet and violet because yeah that's true yeah yeah yeah, yeah 100% like there is a failure right now that they are clearly showing that they do not have accurate quality control. And mm -hmm. they are taking quality assurance and bug assurance as secondary, as every other video game company is doing out there. Like, I think people leave that out of the conversation. Bugs riddle all of these games. Mm. They're incredibly complicated. And none of these games are treating their <clears throat> quality assurance people with any amount of dignity. They have been seen as contractors and expendable and we are all paying the price and we go after these companies like how dare you allow this to happen but never once say like what you you need to treat these people well you need to put the investment into quality assurance mm -hmm. you have to be making this choice and you are not making it wasn't that i'm not a big gamer as much as i am a big pokemon -y. um but uh <laughs> Wasn't that what happened with Cyberpunk as well? Like, it yep. was a game that people were really excited about, and it was super buggy, and yeah. they had to fix it. 
Yeah, and they have to right. fix it. And and it is it is hard to quantify how much damage that does, right? Like mm. it is hard to say how much damage to the life like Cyberpunk doesn't have a franchise. I think the the measurement of the damage that that does is Pokemon. Pokemon is the game that will measure bug damage because mm. you have an ingrained audience that Longtime fans like myself tell people, do not buy Scarlet and Violet. I will let you know if they fix the bugs because the game sometimes is absolutely unplayable. It literally crashes. I, when I played through it, you know, I'm excited. It's the first day. I'm not really thinking about saving because I'm just binging the game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it lets me know that the uh, the software, you know, couldn't continue due to an error or whatever. And I restarted back. I'm like two gems behind and a Titan behind. And there's yeah. even issues because like I shut... Like I shut off autosave because in BDSP there were issues with autosave. But autosave still. came in and let's go. I yeah. think either yeah. let's go or sword yeah. and shield. I, I mean, always shut off issues in Lumio City. It cost your game to freeze up. But I can't like those bugs were very specific, and I get why that was hard to find. Like the these series of things happened and thus created a bug. Like yeah. I think mm-hmm. I get that those things are sometimes hard. Like I think people give passes on those. But when you're playing and suddenly you have just torn through the world and you're falling, yeah. I was doing nothing unusual but walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, there's yeah. a larger pressure for like the theme is that uh, that Pokemon is the Pokemon company is always trying to push these games further and further along into like a more quote-unquote high quality video game, right? Or more realistic or more whatever. Um, and I feel like that's probably the root of a lot of these these constraints. You disagree? I disagree. Okay. I think the I think the root of these complaints is corporate culture. Okay. I, the, you 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 are always going to find the you are always trying to find the right amount of people to do the work in the right amount of time and get a pro- quality product out. Oh, I see what you're saying. But and. That is a thing across all corporate culture. It is to keep operational costs as low as possible while maximizing how much people will pay for your game. Right. And so the gap between that is where problems creep in. And so as they try to lower their operational cost, they cut out things that they don't feel are important because they feel like they have a forgiving community. So if bugs get through, oh, we'll fix them. We're listening to you, and they can repair that going forward. The problem is, is that a lot of game franchises don't have such a strong connection between them like Pokemon does. And I, I think that this game is the one that will show, like, you cut operation costs too far. You you went too light on on things like bug checking, quality assurance, Um mm. Every game is going to try to push the hardware to a point where people think this is a beautiful experience. And Mm -hmm. every company is going to try to push and modernize their game because they have to. You have to modernize. Otherwise, you lose your audience. I I remember like... uh... The, the bug thing was like a, a pretty well-known thing because, I mean, in, in trailers, you would see the difference between, I guess this isn't a bug, but like the frame rate issues between the English and Japanese one. And then I remember, uh, Greg, I, I don't know if you even keep up with uh, leaks in the Pokemon community, 
but there was a leaker in the Pokemon community who like a hundred percent certified leaker. And he like said back in July, like this game is a buggy mess. Like he, I think he literally posted something along the lines of be careful where you save, because as of right now, hopefully they fix it. But as of right now, if you save in certain parts of the game, you lose your whole save file. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of strong opinions about leak culture right now. Okay, here we Um, go. Oh, cool. Cool. (laughs) Leakers are not in it for the quality of the game. Right. And they have not been in it for the quality of the game for a long time. They are in it for the quality of themselves, and they do not care the amount of damage that they do to the franchise that they love as long as it's getting them fame and clout. And as long as leakers continue to put out, literally take a ball of spaghetti and throw it against the wall and hope something sticks, and they could care less if any of that's true, because what are we going to do? It's a buggy mess. That's literally every game before it's done. Like, that is such a banal statement. Yeah, of course it's right. a buggy mess. It's not done. What are you trying to tell us? What you're doing is you're just trying to poison your audience to listen to you away from the company. That sucks. You do not actually care about the fans. You do not actually care about the game. You have no interest in making that game better. You are only interested in propping yourself up. And you do not care how many lies you tell. You don't care how wrong you are because people will remember the two things that you got right and say, they're legit. They've been lying to you for three years. They got one thing right and it supported your bias. So they're great. No, I am done with leakers right now. They are, they are garbage people because they could care less about anybody but themselves. They are not in it to make these games better they are in it to make themselves better and they can f off into the sun wow greg i want you to start your own youtube so you can like do these lectures <laughs> and it's like that was really like that was good <laughs> i think i definitely don't always re- like realize that leakers are in somehow working on the thing that they're leaking. I don't think I re- often make that. Well, connection. often, often leakers aren't even working on it. Like no. usually it's like they have a source who has a source. Who's yeah, or, or they find a back door. Yeah. Or that's they true too. In, or they got something or they found something or in most cases they're lying. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like me. I do that on Twitter. No, he does. He's a troll on Twitter. Yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's he's arguably worse than the leakers on Twitter. A lot of people are really <laughs> mad at him right now. <laughs> it's just a, yeah. Anyways, uh, do, do you do you guys care to respond to that, or we can move on? <laughs> I'll let Soul take that one. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing is, if ninety nine percent of them are like that, it does hurt the one percent. You know. I mean, so the the question I always have about when, like, we know that Joe has Joe Zerby has people that play the game well before so we can get everything prepped. I didn't know that illusion that he's got all this within an hour, right? Like we sort of know. And like those people are actually trying to do have, have integrity because they're trying to present something honest and honorable to the community, right? Like there Mm -hmm. are leakers out there who are actually trying to say, we're going to get you the information that is correct upfront and immediate. And that is definitely not the majority of them. Um, and it right. is definitely not, it is definitely not something you can actually say is true five or six or seven months before the game comes out. Since game companies 
are also aware that you exist and already we know put false information into pre-builds because you exist. I noticed. We also know they put in real information that they don't want to release because here's the secret. People share things more when they think they stole it from you than when you give it to them. When they think, haha, they didn't mean to give this away, so I'm going to run with this because I've got the expose. I've got their secret. Ooh. They didn't want you to know this. There is not a content creator out there that doesn't so highly control what they do and what they say, and 100%. And I guarantee you, there is not a single A-level Fortune 100 company that doesn't specifically control everything that happens. So when you see things like, oh, they let this slip in their ad in the background. No, they didn't. Yeah, all this, all, all of the leaks that were in official, like, uh, official trailers, that stuff, like without a doubt, stuff. is on purpose. People, people talked about Mousehold being two placeholders for months. Yeah, yeah. They did the same and thing with all, Meltan and Gimmigul when we they were leaked thought, our go. We all thought, oh, we got, we got them. Yeah, yeah. We got them. We know they don't have to put that in the I'm, I'm glad they do that, though. I think it's a lot of fun. It's, it's cute. It's fun. I'd rather get it, it from it, them than a leaker, right? But, again, they are using a bad system to their own ends. Okay, that's interesting. Like, yeah, I've, I, don't I've, like I don't like that as a marketing option. I don't. Like, yeah. I, I don't mind it when they leave things, hidden secrets, in their own trailers. That's cool to me. When they are lying in their own code, because we know that quality assurance is the thing that they don't do, and they don't tend to clean that up. And code isn't like this great thing that you just scrub away easy. When they lie in their own code, they create problems. And I do not like that we have a culture that also relies on marketing through leaking code. Can you give an example? Like, I'm thinking of the magic, like the convergent Magikarp. Is that what you're thinking of? (laughs) So, I mean, we know that... Like, we know that, like, in Sword and Shield, certain starters were in the code, mm. and certain ones weren't. Like, we know that Galarian Slowpoke did not exist in the code until suddenly they put it in. So we know mm. that when there are things coming in the future in code, they do not need to put it there. Like, in Gen, they, in gen 6 and 7, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, in Sword and Shield, Glarian Slowpoke was not in the code. Yeah. Right? There was no hint that this Pokemon existed. There was nothing. And then when the DLC pre-release hit, suddenly it was inserted in the code, perfectly came, it appeared on the beach, it was right outside the train station, I mean... And it had never existed and nobody knew. And everybody believes that, well, they have to add it to the code. before. It, there has to be a foundation for these things. We know that there doesn't. So when mm. there's foundation in the code, they are playing the game of trusting leakers to do marketing for them. <laughs> I, am, I am pro spoilers. I think people who have these hard lines against spoilers, you are making your life miserable. I love that. Greg, um, Thank you. I love you, that so you much. Are, you are if, – if spoilers are that important to you, then you must do your own protection yes. because what spoiler culture has mm-hmm. started to come down to is nobody is allowed to talk about a thing that they're excited about until I am also excited about it and in the know. Bro. No. Thank you so much. No. 
you have to control your own world. And if mm -hmm. spoilers are that important to you, then get off of social media. Yeah, people talk like day one, the game's officially out. I'm not allowed Wait. to make videos about it. Yeah, like, no. People are allowed to be excited about a thing and talk about a thing yeah. with their friends that they're excited about. And you do not get to be the person that is a jerk about that. Yeah. That said... Leaks are different. Also you you also don't have the right to actively spoil things for other people. Right. Like, asking... I can't, like, like seek out... Like, I knew Soul didn't complete right. the game until, Han like, Solo last does. week. I was not, right. like, texting Soul, like, right. hey, by the way, uh, the professors are really AI. <laughs> yeah, like, Will from the show, my friend Will, plays the game slowly. So the very first thing I always ask him... Where are you at in the games? It is right. a simple question to ask. Yeah. Where are you at in the game? Because then they'll say, oh, I'm here. So everything before that is free reign. It, and you can it, have mm -hmm. a conversation. It is so minor to be respectful to say, where are you at? Or have you seen this? But even that, like we're talking about like interpersonal relationships. Like I feel like right. I feel like if you already have, if you're friends with someone, you're going to by default give them that respect, right? And right. you can give that respect to other people. Yeah. Right? Like, social media is a thing that is an open forum. So yeah. if you don't want to be in the square of people shouting things because you might hear something, then Get you off. need to leave the yeah. forum. Or make it not that important. Right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that important. Trust me. I had a friend who got... So we, my friend and I were talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer literally 10 years after the final season <laughs> i got mad because like i haven't seen it yet and i said <laughs> like, so what? in the amount of time between the end of that series and now you could have watched it right it, it is well <laughs> past so spoiler territory it is we are allowed to talk about a thing yeah we are allowed to have a conversation about a piece of media that we enjoy that is so old and people are allowed to talk about what happened in last night's last of us oh uh, dude yeah yeah i did watch about it. that i looked up i looked something up to get an answer <laughs> and it gave me a spoiler for for the season two and i was like no it, studies have shown in general people enjoy a story more when they know it's going to happen mm. right like there is a reason that we as human re we re, like to re-watch media right yeah absolutely mm -hmm. What would replay you know what's Pokemon going games. to happen. You know what's going to happen. You can focus on different things. When you're not spending the brain power on trying to figure out what's happening, yeah. you can enjoy other aspects of it. And again, right. spoilers matter depending on how much you love figuring out a mystery versus just watching a mystery. For me... It's an anxiety thing too. Like I yeah. maybe that is that might be the most stupid thing I've ever said. No, it's not. But like like uh Marvel is that way. Uh Marvel um oh, like you I remember be I told while watching it. Right, like like for example uh you know obviously <laughs> I will not spoil That's it true. here. But, like, I know who is alive and who isn't at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, even though that's not out yet. I've I've done the work to find those spoilers. Yeah. And get that information. <laughs> that uh, is that is that is a way of again. It's a life hack. My husband reads the last four pages of a book he picks up because <laughs> he's like, I don't want to go through the nightmare of a good story if it's going to end like garbage. Live your life how you want. If you want to avoid spoilers, that is on you. Avoid them. I like this. Be kind to people. 
ask them where they're at. Ask them if you want to have the conversation. Just ask. But like people who are adamant about how dare you post that on social media, get get out. It that that is on you. You cannot stop people from talking about a thing that they love. Yeah, this is so good. Literally one of the best takes. <laughs> I thought I was alone in this. Seriously, do you guys have other questions? I, I think we were supposed to talk about what our ideal game has. We never well, yeah, we, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. It's all right. Yeah. Give me Stadium 3. That's that's just the <laughs> only cool. note to end it on. Give Get, stadium 3 with a battle frontier. Energy. Boom. It always frustrates me that they have such a powerful tool for storytelling, which is the bond between you and pokemon yeah and how you interact with the world and they just never capitalize on it i mean a sick dog that's like the first time they've ever done that i think they've done the whole like you know i mean that cubone with like the marowak mom that's a uh, dad they've yeah, done that's the ampharos part- that's yeah, sick that a little bit yeah I mean, they, okay. they, they they've done a few things like i mean dealing with Trapped and tortured Pokemon again. That is True. a huge part of what the water, uh, the Lake Trio yep. storyline has to be done. That is a storyline that they touch on in uh, with Mewtwo again, mm-hmm. uh, of a thing that is not being treated well. Um, I think they 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 did it much better. Again, they did a lot of the storylines better in Scarlet and Violet, but I, I still stand by the fact that they made them very very shallow. Yeah. I shouldn't have to shallow. beat a game to get to the story. The story right. should be the part of beating the game. And I th- and I mean again, even the end area storyline was was pretty shallow. Yeah. Um. They they dipped they dipped a little bit below the the line, but they really didn't have they didn't really lean into a strong emotional impact. Yeah. Um. And I wonder if it's like they're. Afraid I think to we go applaud there. it for its darkness, but the fact is it was still pretty my, my, basic. My concern is they are un they are going to undo that darkness with the DLC. Mm. Really? So, like, you think the professors will be alive? I think if they do choose the storyline that the professors are, in fact, trapped in the past or the future, that undercuts Arvin's storyline. Not that they really give Arvin a lot. Um, He really just never grieves. Even no, he he was, he literally like they say on. he literally says at the end like um uh like when you're like Penny or Nimona is like you know Arvin I'm so sorry and he's like ah, I kind of always knew and that's like yeah. the only thing he says. I mean, <laughs> you you he gets his arc of saving somebody with Mabastif, which is a great arc, and mm-hmm. I I really had kind of hoped. At the end, like they would at least sort of teach people how to help somebody who who is dealing with grief, because it is a very common thing uh, for people to lose a parent that they were not close to, and for that person not to know how to deal with their emotions and lack thereof. And I was really hoping at some point post game, you would have conversations with Arvin, and it's not hard to do to mimic common practices of a person that is struggling with i should care about this person but i don't and Mm. what does that mean for me what does that mean about me what does that say because i know a ton of people who have really bad relationships like look it's i'm part of the gay community we don't have great relationships with our parents a lot of the time Uh, and so when they pass on you are stuck with a mixture of 
relief and grief. I, I am glad they are no longer a torment in my life, but I no longer have this staple of society. And I had kind of really hoped that they had touched on that with Arvin of a person who freely admitted my parents were garbage and I'm glad they aren't tormenting me anymore. But also, I don't have parents anymore and this is a thing that I have to contend with. Um, and I had really hoped that they had would do something with that and they just didn't. And it's fine. They don't need to, but they had an opportunity that they just walked. No, it, that is like... I. I mean, I definitely thought it was a, a little shallow. I, I do applaud like a lot of points from it, but um, it, you, but now like you're making me realize what we missed, and you're right that that would have been so good, especially because also too. I mean, at the end of the day, the protagonists in a Pokemon story are kids, and so to see a kid go through that that would that could have done a lot. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that they did it really, really, really brilliantly in Sun and Moon. They really taught kids. You should not be defined by your parents. And if your parents are a toxic aspect of your life, it is okay to walk away from them. But then like Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon kind of undid that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, yeah <laughs> we won't even get into how Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon decided to do an invasive species storyline. Because it bothers me that they did an invasive species storyline in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. And then everybody's like hailing it as like surprise in Scarlet and Violet. I'm like, they already did it. We already. Mm. How. They, whatever. It, they've already did an invasive species. I'm bothered that they did it again. Um, but, like, you need to teach, you have a vehicle to teach kids how to interact with the adult world in a way that will make sense to them, that they can touch with and feel with these characters. And they just chose not to do it. And I think it was a terrible missed opportunity because they did it. They did it so well in Legends Arcus. They tackled toxic positivity so well. To it's particularly toxic religious positivity yeah. so well in Mel. And like you really hammered home the point of how dangerous toxic positivity is and how negatively that affects people. You really could have done it here and you chose not to. And I think that's a shame. Greg, I, I need you to start a YouTube manager. He's like, this is, I, I could just listen to you talk about what did this right and what did it, yeah. So this is, this is something that I was, what I was talking about earlier about like the yearly releases. I'm trying to understand like what the difference is between Pokemon and Call of Duty or, or whatever type of game, AAA game that comes out every single year, right? If they need to produce something every single year, like you said, Greg, they do make, they do cut corners and, and you know, that's, that's going to catch up to them eventually. But maybe this is just one of those things where they're like, let's not even mess well, with it. Let's I, I, give I people just what they love. There, There is a misbelief about what it means to do yearly games. Because the development cycle of every game is always exactly the same. Yeah, that's true. That, that is a good point. Every game is developed for three it's not years. not one year. Even yeah, if it yeah. comes out three to four years, even if it comes out, something comes out yearly, it has been in development. I think having worked in corporate culture for a very long time, there are there are teams and resources that work on disparate aspects at different, you know, there's a whole project timeline. So like the idea that the same group of people worked on the same game for only a year or one group of people worked on this game for three years solid yeah. is not true. You have art departments, you have marketing departments, you have programmers, you have 
system generators. You have all of these groups that are working on different things, and you can see the influence that happens in each game as they develop them. Like, they aren't developed in a vacuum. So I, I, I always want to push back on the idea that they need more development time. That is never the problem. They need maybe better resource management, and we can talk about that to some extent. We can never really see what happens inside. But most, like one of the most interesting things I ever watched and read was about how you can look at two different anime and they seem vastly different. And so I was reading a thing where a person said, every anime house has the exact same timeline to get their anime out. The only difference is how well they are at managing their resources. So like, Pokemon anime takes the same amount of time as Jujutsu Kaisen. And you will say they are vastly different quality. They manage their resources differently. And one is much better at managing their resources as far as visuals than the other. So same development time. It's all about resource management. What they prioritize. And we all know merchandising and Pokemon design is their top priority. Mm. It yeah, has yeah, to be. Yeah. They make all of their money off of finding a Pokemon that somebody is going to love and they're going to sell all of the merchandise to. I mean, look, I have a million Rosalia things all around me at all times. Oh, like, yeah. my ride or die. It, it's listening right? to your show at Super Effective that really made me realize how much product there actually is out there. To, to just, like, yeah. consume. <laughs> I mean, Mickey, like, I was just at Disney. Every store has a design in a shirt yeah, and yeah. a mug and a hat <clears throat> to meet somebody's taste. As a Star Wars fan, I, 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 I really get frustrated when people talk about the actors' performances and because they are all incredible actors. Mm-hmm. You can look at how good they are at acting. The choices were made by the director. And the writers. The, the, the writers are some. Again, we, the, the words we say are so unimportant as far as how we communicate. The tone of voice that we use and our body language are 95% of the way that we communicate, right? Like, this is an established fact. Well, so <laughs> speaking of, so you, you said, like, uh, the most important thing is how something's delivered, right? Yep. How a line's delivered. Oh, yeah. So do you think we, we should have voice acting in Pokemon? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Right, because they're having cutscenes and the characters are going. <laughs> the thing with cutscenes is we as humans, because the way we communicate is through body language and tone, it is impossible not to put tone behind those words. Mm. And when you don't have voice acting, you cannot control the tone up which people take your writing. So mm-hmm. some people will see things as flippant. Some people will see things as serious. Some people th- see things as a joke sure. based off of the tone that they bring to it. What good voice acting does is eliminates the ambiguity. And it doesn't mean that you have, like, Final Fantasy fourteen has voice acting in specific cutscenes only. And what that does is that when you are not having voice acting in reading the text you have a point of reference for their tone of voice. Okay. So you can read it in their tone of voice. 
when you eliminate it completely, it is up to personal in interpretation. And that is something you can't control and can negatively or positively affect your story. Bad voice acting can ruin a game. Absolutely. Bad acting can ruin anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because they are unable to convey what needs to be conveyed. They are bad at their job. Great, good voice acting will always enhance a product. Pokemon Masters flies a lot because of the voice work that they do. They This game would have benefited and the emotional impact would have been stronger, particularly with Nimona, if there was voice acting. Yeah. If one character needed to be able to express their excitement in a way that made more sense, Nimona needed it. How they talk, how they interact, <clears throat> how they interpret things, like, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I think also, like... If there was voice acting in a, in a Pokemon game throughout the entire story, um, I think we'd probably run into an issue similar to the reception that we got from uh, Sun and Moon with all the, the you know all the cutscenes, right? Or, or maybe yeah. or maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe those cutscenes were boring because there was no voice acting. I think we'd have the same issue as the anime, where like a lot of people hate the voice actors, yeah. the English voice actors, because I, I will say like. Yeah. The anime is hard for me to watch because most animes I, I, I watch with subs, you know, because the I just can't stand the dub. The problem, particularly with dubs and subs, is we expect a certain because we interact with Japanese and we interact with Japanese speaking Americans and people who have speak English in Japanese accents. When you are watching a clearly Japanese product, if the dub does not take time to try to help mirror how they would speak or make that conversation feel natural, you are pulled out of it because your brain mm -hmm. wants to hear a more Japanese-influenced conversation. Yeah. And so a lot of voice actors, like a lot of really good dubs, follow standard Japanese arcs as far as their performance. So... Japanese animation is known to be screamy and yelly and they do a lot of eh and all that stuff. Americans, we don't expect that from our actors, but people tend to rate dubs better when American actors lean into Japanese style intonation. Dude, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking just, of the... Yeah, I like the know. original anime was really good, I think. Like uh, Ash, like, you know, uh, Veronica Taylor was obviously great. But yeah. then like from seasons one through four... I think uh, those are the best. And then five, you just see a gradual decline. And like again, Sun and Moon's where it's unwatchable for me. They yeah. cut back again on how much money they were willing to spend. So you, mm -hmm. get, you get the quality of actor that you pay for. Right. Um, but again, our expectations feed what we want from a performance. And you need pretty high quality actors to overcome through their skill your expectations so, like spirited away is an example of having high quality top tier actors completely change your expectations of what the performances should be in that film so can we assume because they are excellent can, can we assume that they're not doing voice acting or they haven't implemented that yet in the video games because that's a high ticket item potentially and that's where they're cutting. It that's is, where they're cutting costs. 
It is an expensive item if you want quality. Yeah, and you'd have to do it in every language, so it's not just like actors are not cheap. Yeah, it is. Just not get Ryan Reynolds having... to play Pikachu. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Detective Pikachu works, right? Like Ryan Reynolds pulls that performance off. But look at <laughs> look at the difference people are reacting to Chris Pratt's Mario versus the French or Italian Mario, right? Yeah, because we ex- they are matching in French and Italian the intonation we expect for those games. Mm. Chris Pratt isn't. Chris Pratt is doing his interpretation as an actor of what that character would be. We as people who have an expectation are pushing back against that because we are coming in with a set woohoo that we aren't getting. That is the power of voice acting. Again, we expect Pikachu because of the anime to have a high Pikachu voice. Yeah, imagine if like they change Pikachu's cry back to like the English version of where it just says like nah. Pikachu, but it's Ryan no. Reynolds. I, yeah, Ryan Reynolds just Pikachu, when, you, Pikachu. when you throw out your Pikachu, just hello Pikachu. Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, this is totally off topic at this point, but I am curious yeah. like how you got started uh, working with It's Super Effective. So I was a listener of the show. No way. And then yeah, so I was a listener of the show, and then. Uh, Stephen Allen and Sean had started the Tuesday night podcast, uh, which was a board gaming podcast, which I'm also on. Uh, it's not defunct. We put a show out like once every other year. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways, they were talking about teaching Steve how to do Dungeons and Dragons and fifth edition had just come out and I had always, always, always wanted to run D and D in a Pokemon world. It had always been a thing that I wanted to do. And so I reached out to Steve because he's like, I want to learn this game. And I said, well, I have this amount of experience. I really want to try this rule set that I've hacked. You all are a group of people that would immediately get the world. Like, I wouldn't have to do a lot of Pokemon explaining. Uh, And then Steve said, well, if I do this, I want to record it. So that's how Mythical started. Mm. And so I did... We did a number of seasons of Mythical, uh, and then I was a guest on the show for our Kickstarter episode. I think it, my first ever episode is 170. Um, it's called Flower. I remember that much. Anyways, so I did that, and then a lot of people... Uh, guests are always hard, because you don't know how good they're going to be, or if they're mm-hmm. going to talk, and I clearly don't have yeah. that problem. yeah. We're having um, that issue right now. <laughs> yeah. I clearly don't have a problem speaking at all times. Um, and so a lot of people had been asking for me to come back. Um, and uh, when Wheels left the show, uh, I had said, well, I'll fill in. And if we continue, we continue. If we don't, we don't. But, you know, I will at least fill a gap until... Whatever settles out, settles out. Um, And then I'm still there. (laughs) I mean, I'm still doing. They're going to let you know next week. Hey, Greg, we don't need you to fill in anymore. (laughs) I I I mean, it's valid. I think I started listening to the show in like 2015, 16. Uh, I had a lot of commutes driving from where I lived to my college campus. And, uh, and I was like, I need. I'm looking for. I'm, I need Pokemon podcasts. I don't remember if you were on then, but uh, I think I officially started in 2018. Okay, all right. I think I, it's hard because COVID times have blurred. Oh no, they lines. all 
2020 like, was know. last year to me. Somebody yeah. said to me, I've been on the show for six years, and that sounds about right. Wow. All right. I did yeah, all my yeah. homework. I got a lightsaber. I got my Roselia. Yeah. I got everything I needed. I have my Epcot coaster. That's it. Yeah. That one. What do you got, Sol? You have anything? He has his personality. Oh, I love his lovely personality. Patch. Greg, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Sure. You can find me. The easiest way to find me again is at White Wing on Twitter. I am Lysander03 in most other places. It's a whole thing. You can find It's Super Effective. We do a show every Monday. I also do an actual play podcast called Very Random Encounters where we play uh, pen and paper RPGs in which we've randomly determined as many things as possible, and then we play to see what happens. Uh, I've written two books. Uh, there's an RPG called Glitter Hearts that I is my own, and then there is a resource for all fantasy-style RPGs called the Ultimate Random Encounters book that you can find on Amazon, literally wherever books are sold. That is out there as well. Uh, you can look me up at leatherman.games. That is my website for all my gaming stuff. So I'm looking to kickstart my next game probably in the next couple of months. So... So you're cool. interested in RPGs, you know, that, that I may be having one. So. You're a professional. You're a professional RPG. Uh, yeah. I am. Well, great. All of those uh, links will be in the description. If you're still watching, hit the subscribe button. Uh, and, <laughs> um, the bell. Yeah, hit the bell. We've, we've got new merch. So this has been Hidden Power. Signing off. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.